Hello and welcome to Research Roundup brought to you by the Primary Care Collaborative Cancer Clinical Trials Group, PC4. I'm Christy Milley and each month we'll be looking at what's new in cancer in primary care research and I'll be talking to authors of recent publications and presentations. This week, we're talking to Professor Jeff Mitchell. He is Professor of General Practice, the Primary Care Clinical Unit at the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Queensland. Professor Mitchell has recently published an article in the Journal of Palliative Medicine, and it's about predicting those who are at risk of dying within the next 6 to 12 months in primary care, and it was a retrospective case control general practice chart analysis. And a link to this article will be available in our show notes at pc4tg.com.au forward slash podcasts. Welcome, Jeff. Hi, Christy. How are you? Good, thank you. And I've just done the, you know, the long introduction of who you are and where you're from, but you're actually in the process of transitioning, aren't you? I am, yes. So I what's did. your next step? Well, going back to full-time practice, um, I'm a partner, I'm a practice partner. We've got a, a senior GP retiring after a very long career and uh, has a very loyal patient base and uh, basically they think the world is going to end at the end of this year. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're a GP, Jeff, I always like to ask, what was it that really made you want to move into research? Well, I've always been curious about things and making observations and wondering why things work the way they do and what could work better in an informal way. I've been doing that all my Uh, professional life. An opportunity came up when the uh, University of Queensland medical course uh, went into a graduate entry course and they needed more GP academics. And I looked at what I was doing and realised that I was basically being an academic and not being paid for it. (laughs) And so I I transitioned over to academia, mainly for teaching to start off with. But as as I progressed, I realised I was actually better at research than I was at teaching. And why palliative care, Jeff? That was, again, fortuitous. I had a colleague, a friend of mine, who was the director of Lifeline, getting interested in palliative care in in Ipswich, where I work, and basically asked me to pass on any articles that were of interest. And uh, she's a very persuasive lady, and within about six weeks, I was the secretary of the Ipswich Hospice Association. And... I find it a real challenge to do it well, and you can do an awful lot of good with it. I'm I'm unusual in the sense that that many people go into palliative care because of some nasty experience that they've had in their personal life or their professional life, and it wasn't like that at all for me. It was just right place, right time, really. And then, so going into this article that we're talking about, could you just give us a little bit of background on anticipatory end-of-life care and the role it plays for patients with cancer in primary care in particular? So most people, when they think of palliative care or end-of-life care, they think of the last few weeks and uh, when things are getting very unstable, lots of very troublesome symptoms, lots of emotion, and it's it's pretty uh, intense. And that usually relates to cancer care but most people in uh, in Australia don't die of cancer they die of other things they die of heart failure and respiratory failure and multimorbidity and the like the the issue really is that you know pretty much what's going to happen at the end and you know that for many people there'll be 
periods where they relapse and they remit and frequently that happens out of hours and it's people who are under the care of relatives who really don't know what to do so the default is to ring the ambulance and they end up in hospital but if you think about it you can actually you, you know what's going to happen you just don't know when and so if you can prepare and give the carers and the patients options to manage things that go wrong then it can be very powerful indeed but in order to do that you've actually got to ask the question is this person need, needing this kind of uh, approach that means you've got to anticipate the possibility that this person might be entering the last phase of their life. Was that really what then led you to go down the research for this article at looking at being able to predict who's at risk of dying? Yes, it is. I've done a lot of work in managing all people at the end of life in primary care and also in integrating specialists in primary care. And it really struck me. The, the hardest thing to do is to pick the people that need this sort of intervention. And while it's about uh, anticipating increasing need, really you don't start to think about that until you start to think that the person may be uh, heading towards the end of their life and dying. So for that reason, I've been interested in this, this area. And we actually did a PC4-supported study where we did a randomised trial that looked at how this might best be done. There are predictive tools that are available that try to point people in the direction that the needs are escalating and the person might be heading towards dying. And I wondered whether it was possible to screen your population to identify these people and, and do the planning that you need. The result of that RCT was that these tools were no better than intuition without any help at all in predicting the people who are going to die in your practice. Not only that, but there were a very large number of uh, false positives. And if you do find a positive in a screening test, you've got to respond. And so if we were pushing this, we would have been asking GPs to do a lot of extra work, maybe for not a lot of extra gain. It wouldn't have worked. So we then had to decide whether there's a different way of doing this. And so the first thing was to see if there were certain elements within these screening tools that were more predictive than others. And that's where this project came up. Looking at the results of this project, what were the most predictive patient characteristics that were linked to you know, an increased risk of death? So what should GPs be keeping in mind? The most predictive was the patient saying, I think I need help. I think I need to be referred to palliative care or I need my treatment stopped. Not many people do that. Often it's to do with physical and functional decline. So just uh, reduced ability to do their daily living. Symptoms that aren't getting better in spite of maximum treatment. Inability to do uh, normal activities of daily living. And then other more obvious things like having falls or ending up in hospital, severe um, respiratory or, or renal function deterioration. You mentioned in the article that this model could be incorporated into clinical practice. Hmm. What do you think would be the most of, of effective way of actually trying to get that you know, in, trying to make it happen? Well, a number of these nine items that we found that were predictive 
can be sourced through your medical software. It's not a simple case of, of actually looking for things like weight loss. You actually have to calculate that weight has been lost. With modifications, we think that it's possible for an automatic search of, of a patient's records when they come to see you and flagging that this person might need a bit of extra attention. Some of the items require judgment, so you won't find in, in medical records reliable evidence that someone's ability to do day activities of daily living is reducing. That's usually in the, the written notes and it's hard to search for. But something like a reduced kidney function is. And the idea would be that if we can provide a, a search engine that flags those things are present, then it might draw the attention of the doctor to the, the other things. We've got a thing called a nomogram that we've developed, which actually gives a relative score for all of the risk factors, which you can then add up and come up with a probability of risk of death within six to 12 months. And so the idea would be that if you get flagged with some of the items being present, well, it makes you look at the other items and, and then you can actually calculate a risk of death within six to 12 months. What the advantage of that then is that the higher the risk, the more assertive and active uh, you would be in, in how you manage the, the problem and yeah. put things in place for those predictable uh, events that are likely to happen. So would you imagine if we're thinking about a timeline of moving this forward that being able to really generate, I suppose, the software that's required, you know, in the electronic medical record, that's yeah. something that's going to take you know, one, two, five years? Where are we looking at with that? I would imagine it will be that length of time, yeah. yes. You've got to work out how to extract the data from the from the different software packages that are available in Australia. And then you've got to convince the uh, proprietors of those uh, packages to incorporate this. So there's a, And you've got to prove that it works too. I mean, what we've done is, is very, very basic work and it's been retrospective. Yeah. Uh, what should happen in the future is that we test this prospectively somehow to see whether these probability risks actually do end up being predictive. And then once that's done, then you can sort of with confidence go to the manufacturers of the software and show the worth of putting it in. And so even though, you know, we're talking early stages now, if you had a simple take-home message for GPs in their clinic from this study, what would that be? To ask yourself the question whether this person might be heading towards the end of their life. There's actually a thing called the surprise question, which can be quite helpful. It is, would you be surprised if this person died in the next six to 12 months? If the answer is no, I wouldn't be surprised, then that is a trigger to, to look further. There's actually a better question, I think, and that is, would you be surprised if this person was still alive in six to 12 months? The work we've done in the in the randomised trial that I mentioned before, uh, the pilot work made it very clear that people weren't prepared to condemn, so to speak, the person to dying. And so they were very, very cautious in, in making that kind of call. But if you think about it the other way around, and you know, would they be surprised if this person was still alive? And the answer is yes, I would. 
Well, it's actually saying the same thing, but it's not condemning the person to die, so to speak. So that's uh, another sort of thing that's been looked at over in Europe, and uh, it might actually supplant the surprise question. That's a good thing to reflect on, Jeff. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for downloading Research Roundup, produced by PC4. You can access the articles and other information in our show notes. Do let us know what you think about this episode by emailing info at pc4tg.com.au or keep in touch via Twitter, where you'll find us at PC4TG. Don't forget to visit PC4's website, pc4tg.com.au.